Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Green Iowa Pod. This is Cassie here hosting today, and we have a special guest from the Iowa Native Plant Society. Um, Cornelia, will you introduce yourself? Hi, yeah, I'm Connie Mutel. You can call me Connie. Um, I am uh, a resident of rural Iowa City, and I have been a long-term member, I think from its inception in 1995, of the Native Plant Society. Wonderful. Yeah, we're so excited and grateful to have you here today. So for those people who aren't familiar with the Iowa Native Plant Society, can you just provide a brief history of the organization and talk about the work they do? Sure. Yeah, well, um, the history is just that mostly we were formed about 25 years ago, 1995. Um, a group of plant, native plant lovers got together and decided that we wanted to work um, on certain aspects um, of promoting native plants, encouraging the conservation of native plants, educating people, and encouraging appreciation of native plants. And we do that um, through things like field trips. Uh, we do, we have an email discussion group, a listserv, which is very active. It has um, members uh, and non-members as well who get on and, and share uh, pictures, for example, of plants and say, what is this? Or, um, you know, tell me more about this. They ask questions about land management and the like. The website, which is quite good, has also has a calendar of events, including field trips. We haven't had field trips the last couple of years too much because of COVID, but we will be again in the summertime. Um, we have a newsletters a couple of times a year, and those are also posted on the, on the uh, website. Um, and it's a congenial, friendly group of people. So I'd invite anybody with native plant, inter native plant interests to become a member. Yeah, absolutely. And I had a look at some of those newsletters while I was um, re researching this organization. I can definitely recommend them. They're very interesting reads and um, cover a lot of interesting topics. One of the other things I noticed when I was on the website is that you have a small grant system that the INPS runs. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah, this is something that we started, golly, I can't remember, maybe 15 years ago. And it's become a, a very important part of our organization. Um, these are small, small grants, we call them. They're from hundreds of dollars to, oh, maybe I think 1,250 or 1,500 at the dollars at the most. Um, and they can are directed at, at one of four basic areas. One is land acquisition. This isn't, um, this is, there would be aiding public land acquisition, not private land. Um, management practices, research, and education about native plants. Um, so we, the, the, the uh, application process is quite simple. At the end, toward the end of the year, we invite people to, to send in a pretty simple application. It's, it's described on the website. Um, and then we review those and rate them and award the grants in March for each growing season. We also have something called a Restore Iowa Grant, which is uh, designed, it's just a flat $1,000, and it's designed to get uh, youth out into the natural world so, and, and be working on restoration projects. So these are for projects where you get a Boy Scout group or some sort of uh, group um, out to help restoring a restore a natural area. They get the work done and they learn about nature at the same time. Yes, and on this podcast, we've spoken a lot about both the importance of 
outdoor connection with nature as well as education um, educational opportunities for for younger people to get them involved in getting outside so the um, IMPS mission really really lines perfectly with what we've been discussing thank you yeah so now we've talked a little bit about the basics of the IMPS can we talk about what are the biggest threats facing native plants in Iowa um, that makes the work that the IMPS does so important sure yeah well the biggest thing of course is what happened as soon as the plow came to Iowa which is that uh, the habitat um, for Iowa's incredibly diverse ecosystems started to be destroyed, uh, to, uh, converted to agriculture. This is a process um, which is ongoing now um, with agricultural in intensification, where the little snippets of land that used to be uh, in the back 40 acres or along 40, uh, long fence rows and the like um, were very nice habitat for native plants as well as animals. Those are getting plowed up now increasingly. And as that happens, that's a direct destruction of the native plants. As that happens, the remnants, those little places that, are, that remain are fragmented. So you have shrinking populations of plants and animals, uh, which may find it difficult to survive. And then if remnants do uh, survive in little pockets here and there across Iowa, we have um, invasive plants, which uh, really are a huge stress on uh, native plants. These are aggressive plants that have been introduced mostly from, from Europe and the Eurasian steppes um, that can be aggressive here in this country because they don't have any of their native uh, adjuvant um, uh, pests that will keep them under control. So they just come here and take off. Um, other threats are things like climate change, erosion, pesticide drift. But another big thing that I think people should be aware of um, that we really need is good ongoing funding for conservation. And if we could get more conservation funding to the DNR, to county governments and the like, uh, we could do a lot more with land preservation and native plant preservation and management in Iowa. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you mentioned uh, climate change, um, and I know that you've published multiple books related to the IMPS mentioned, um, including one on the 2008 floods, and then one about climate change based on Midwestern woodlands. So can you talk a bit about what those books are about, as well as the process of writing them and researching for them? Sure. Um, I'll talk just I, what I, about what I think are the two most relevant. Um, the one was published in 2008, that, uh, with the title is The Emerald Horizon, The History of Nature in Iowa. And that was a very difficult book to, uh, to write, to put together, to research. It talks about what Iowa was pre-settlement and pre-settlement times, the native ecosystems that were here, how those were lost and how completely they were lost, something like um, over 99% of our prairies have been lost. And then what we can do about them, not just preserving them, but managing them. And that's a whole new subject called restoration ecology. It's taking damaged nature and bringing it back to health once again. So that book is, is uh, pretty much a, a natural history of Iowa. And, um, and I think that that's good, gives people a good background about what we once had here and what still is happening and how we can help the native plants and other native animals survive. 
And the other book um, that I think you did mention was my book on climate change, which was published in two, five years ago now, 2016, Sugar Creek Chronicle, Examining Climate Change from a Midwestern Woodland. Both of those books are published by the University of Iowa Press. So Sugar Creek Chronicle was a response to my learning, to my great chagrin after finishing Emerald Horizon, that I should have included a lot more about climate change in the, in the natural history of Iowa. It's people have become so much more aware of it in recent years than they were in the past. Um, and I, once I became aware of how significantly it was already, climate change was already expressing itself here in Iowa, I felt I had to write something about it. So um, it's Sugar Creek Chronicle is a combination of a memoir. It's a story of my living in the woods. So it has a lot of natural history about the Okikri woodland where my family and I live. And it also talks about um, climate change explains climate change and climate change uh, adaptations and the like. So both of those book, books did involve years, literally years of research and an immersion in the subject area, which was is oftentimes very wearing, especially with um, climate change was, was difficult, but I'm, I'm glad that I did them and they've both been received well. Yes, we're glad you did them too. And we encourage our listeners to check out both of those books. Um, if you didn't catch the titles, you can go on the IN, uh, IMPS website and they're listed there um, for more information. Um, but I think this kind of idea of natural history is really important. I know climate change, we've talked a lot about on this podcast, you know, it's one of those things that tends to come up in every subject because it touches on so many environmental problems. And I think um, knowing its importance for plants is just as important as it is to know, for example, the impacts it will have on people, animals, um, etc. Um, so to follow up on that, can we talk a little bit about how climate change is predicted to impact um, native Iowa plants? And is there anything that can be done to ensure the longevity of vulnerable species in the face of climate change? Well, the last question there is, is a tough one. <laughs> um, it's a lot easier to say what's, what's happening or what's going to predict, to, to predict what's going to be happening. So um, climate change, of course, is pushing our weather and climate extremes way beyond what they have been uh, for the last 10,000 years. Greater uh, uh, greenhouse gas concentrations are keeping in the heat uh, in the planet within the atmosphere here. And that greater heat means there's there are uh, significant changes with our water cycles and with the nature of storms and all of those things increase erosion and sometimes push plants um, beyond their, their limits, their ability to live in, live in a certain area. So um, what I say is that climate change is rewriting the Earth's operating instructions. Um, and if we think about what that means, it means pushing spe species, as I just said, beyond their, their, uh, their physiological limits to survive. Um, and also creating a lot new of new pressures, such as the press pressures of increased erosion. Um, with climate change, you also have uh, plant interactions changing. Um, one thing I read about recently uh, was, for example, ants, that ants, uh, certain kinds of ants that are, uh, are sensing the warming climate and are starting to migrate they can do that on their little short legs, but plants cannot migrate. So um, that's important because 
For example, a lot of our spring ephemerals, our beautiful woodland flowers, are actually uh, transported by ants. The seeds are transported to other locations by ants. And if we don't have ants to do that, then the, 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 speeds, the seeds do not get spread and don't, don't grow. So those changing plant-animal interactions can be very uh, destructive. And eventually the climate will change beyond the range of species. And this is predicted now. Um, there's massive changes, for example, massive shifts in the distribution of trees. I know that city foresters are already starting to plant for warmer climates. Um, so what about the longevity of vulnerable species? That's a tough one. That's a really tough one. Um, what people are talking about is, is moving plants, moving plants to the north. Uh, so that they, can, they can't walk to the north, their species can't walk to the north, at least not as fast as the climate is changing. So some people are just talking about physically moving them, but I think that's something that's going to be developed in the coming years. Yeah, and I, I know one of the things we've talked about before is how important volunteers are in conservation, because when there's not that funding, you need volunteers to come in. So I was wondering if we could talk a little bit about the role of volunteers in stopping the growth of invasive species and making sure that they aren't spreading invasive species um, through like their gardens or backyards. Um, and just talk a little bit about the importance of volunteers in this context where there's not a lot of funding currently. Sure, yeah, volunteers are tremendously important. Important. Um, if you're interested in, if anyone is interested in working with native plants, um, it's, you can make a huge difference. I would encourage you to con uh, contact your, your um, county conservation board. A lot of times they'll have volunteer opportunities. Um, local groups here, I know in Jansen County, we have local groups that are doing things um, like garlic mustard pulls. Um, you can just help your neighbors. You, if you educate yourself about invasive plants and you see some on your neighbor's lawn, just say, or yard, um, just say, hey, I, this is what's going on. Can I come over and help you um, deal with that problem? Um, that is tremendously important. Um, I know here where I live on a rural road, um, my neighbors and I have gotten together a team of people that are, are patrolling the road roadsides to stop the spread of, of garlic mustard along the roads. Um, other things you can do, you just need to get to know plants a little bit and alert your neighbors, educate yourself about invasive plants, and then really be careful about what you plant. Yeah. <laughs> this is huge. Um, I'm noticing here in rural Johnson County, the Bradford pears, which are absolutely gorgeous in the spring. I can see why people love to plant them. Um, but they are horribly invasive in our woodlands. And if you're driving in the Eastern United States, you see these fields of Bradford pears now, um, really, really bad uh, things to plant because of the, their ability to spread. Oriental bittersweet has been invading and spreading from um, Christmas decorations and the like. If you wanna get something that's a decoration, Oriental bittersweet decoration, that's fine. But when you're done with it, Make sure that every one of the seeds on that decoration goes into the garbage, not out into the natural environment. And then, like you said, just um, cleaning your boots when you go from one nice natural area to another is important, doing that kind of thing. Yeah, and we were actually, um, my coworkers and I were actually at 
a garden the other day pulling out invasive species and we've done some work with we're here in Des Moines. Um, our team is and we've done some work with the city parks and rec department pulling out honeysuckle, for example. Um, so we've had some firsthand experience with that and I would encourage anyone who's interested in and um, plant species to join whatever local um, park or other foundation activities that allow you to pull out invasive species because it's a really easy and fun way to get outside and contribute um, to really to the health of these ecosystems. Um, yeah. One of the other things I wanted to ask about, we um, experienced, my team and I experienced a prescribed burn about a couple of weeks ago, which was really interesting experience for all of us. Um, and as we know, fires are really necessary for the growth of many species, especially prairie species. Um, so I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about how prescribed human burns worked um, in any ways, how, if there's any ways for people to learn about um, the importance of fire and controlled prescribed burns here for native species. Yeah, um, again, the first question is easier than the second. Um, so prescribed burns are very carefully executed fire introduced to natural areas. This is done usually by people that have um, a certification in wildland fire, um, have taken wild, wildland fire classes and have had a lot of experience about how to plan and, and execute those fires safely. So that's really important. Um, because of that, uh, the dominance of, of it being done in a planned way like that by experts, it's, it's hard to, to um, participate in fire for the most part. Um, I know my husband and I get our, our woods where we live burned every, every year, maybe every couple years. Um, and the professionals that come in and do it uh, just say, go away <laughs> when we're outside, get out of the way. Don't just, you know, we'd want to just be able to focus on the fire. So um, it's, it's hard to find, to, to find ways you can help. If, you, if there's a very small area that you need to burn, perhaps you can do that um, by yourself or with your neighbors. Uh, there are oftentimes people that have planted prairies and have nice safe fire breaks around them. We'll be looking for people to volunteer to help them um, just stand around the fire so that to keep to make sure it doesn't escape. So you might be able to find that, but for the most part, I would say that um, that you won't be able to join in and help with large fires. Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes that's unfortunately the answer that um, it needs to be left to the professionals. Um, I know when my team assisted, I say we assisted, I mean, we stood there to watch the fire and make sure that it didn't spread. And then we helped um, put it out afterwards by dumping buckets of water on it. We did not do anything with studying the fire, touching the fire, anything else. Um, it was certainly an interesting thing to observe, but I also understand the importance of you know, getting out of the way and making sure the professionals um, can, uh, can handle it. Um, I know we touched a little bit on this earlier. Um, we, you talked about the very interesting example with the ants. Um, so the IMPS is clearly focused on plants, but they're all part of a broader ecosystem. Are there any animal species in Iowa that people should learn about if they're interested in creating ecosystems that will support native plants? Um, yeah, I, I couldn't think of an example of working on animals in order to support the plants, um, other than maybe the ants, keeping ants around. Um, but I think that there are a lot of examples that go the other way. Um, getting engaged with native plants in ways that help 
animals. Now, a lot of people are doing this now with monarchs and raising monarch larvae on milkweed that they collect. People are planting butterfly gardens. Um, going beyond that, I would encourage people to look at the work of Doug Tallamy. It's T-A-L-L-A-M-Y, I think. There might be two M's there, but it's T-A-L-L-A-M-Y, I believe, Douglas. Um, he's a professor from Delaware, I think, who has written a number of books, excellent books, describing how birds are dependent on, for example, uh, urban wild, wild urban um, lawns to find the insects to grow their young, to raise their young, and telling people, helping people figure out what plants they should plant in order to encourage the birds and to help them raise their young. And it's just fascinating how to foster insect growth in your backyard. His book uh, that people know the most, I think is called Bringing Nature Home. That's again, Doug Tallamy, Bringing Nature Home. He has also written a, a number of other books um, on this broad subject um, that are good for people to look at, very enjoyable books. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, we encourage our listeners to check out those books and to learn more about how they can get involved in small ways in bringing nature home, as you said. Um, so we've definitely talked about some you know, scientific questions and ecosystem questions. And now I'm just wondering, do you have a favorite native plant or two that you would like to talk about? Well, I, I have thought about that. And I don't think I really do. Um, I like the idea, <clears throat> my husband and I live in the native woodland that we're restoring, as I said, with fire and also in other ways, other management techniques. And we are starting to see a parade of plants, of wildflowers through the seasons, and that's really enjoyable. I love them all. So um, I think that, that really once you get to know nature, you appreciate the entire system. Um, and, and the sequence of plants and what they do each in their own way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, on a final note, can we talk about how, um, how can people who are interested in native plants, but they don't really know where to begin, what would you suggest for them to get involved? Well, uh, feel free to join the Iowa Native Plant Society. Look at, our, look at our website. You might wanna join the listserv if you're interested in native plants or come on some of our field trips, that would be great. You don't have to be a member to, to do either of those. Um, again, Iowa has this wonderful network of county conservation boards um, that you can contact and there may be other local, local um, groups that you can help with or just start reading. Um, I think again, if you're interested in nature, look at my book, Emerald Horizon, which is the study of nature, the history of nature in Iowa or, or Doug Pallamy. Doug Tallamy's, those would both be good places to start. Yeah, that's wonderful. And yeah, we encourage our listeners to check out the Iowa Native Plant Society. As you said, there's going to be um, field trips again soon now that we're starting to get over um, the pandemic. So we encourage our listeners to do, to do that and to get involved, whether it's just reading and learning about native plants in Iowa or learning about natural ecosystems or getting out into the field whichever um, suit you best, or maybe all of the above, if you can, um, we encourage our listeners to do so. Do you have any just final thoughts um, for our listeners about native plants in Iowa, or do you think we've covered everything? Well, I think you've done a good job with the question. So I, 
probably have done a good job with the answers. I just encourage your listeners to to try growing native plants. A lot of places have native plant sales now to support conservation uh, efforts and funding, get outside, become an integral part of the natural world. And um, if you care to meet us in the field with other uh, Iowa Native Plant Society members, you'd be more than welcome. Wonderful. All right. Thank you so much for joining us here today. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you. Um, and we'll be back next week with more information about Iowa and uh, Iowa and nature conservation. Goodbye. Thank you. Thank you.